Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is music by Nanita Desai for Immortality. It's the newest interactive film game from Sam Barlow. Nanita's music for Immortality is unique because of the story of the game, of course. Uh, as a player playing Immortality, you're trying to figure out what happened to Marissa Marcel. She's a model and an actor who's gone missing. And as a player, you're using footage from three unreleased films of Marissa's in order to figure out what's happened. And, the, you know, the musical direction Nanita takes is unique, as you'll hear her explain. I mean, if you think about it, it's a game where you're using three separate films to discover what happened to the film's star. So the musical possibilities are abundant. And the direction that uh, Sam Barlow and Nanita Desai chose to take musically is just very fascinating. It's really great to hear talk about it. Nanita also has written music for many, many documentaries, and two of those projects have been nominated recently for prestigious awards. Her music for 14 Peaks, Nothing is Impossible, received a nomination for a Primetime Emmy, and her music for The Reason I Jump is nominated for a News and Documentary Emmy. So you'll get to hear snippets of both of those wonderful soundtracks, as well as hearing her discuss them briefly towards the end of our conversation. Please join us on Discord. You can uh, join us there for free. You'll find a link to our Discord server in the show notes. Uh, there's a conversation, uh, this conversation uh, with Nanita I have is up on YouTube. Find us at youtube.com slash level with Emily Reese. And of course, other conversations are up there as well. Subscribe, that helps us out. And if you can support us financially on Patreon, that would be amazing. So check us out at patreon.com slash level. All right, here's Nanita Desai. Immortality. Uh, what is immortality? Uh, so basically, it's a full motion video game uh, that Sam Barlow has developed over the last few years. It's um, it's uh, kind of an e evolution from his previous games, Her Story and Telling Lies. Obviously, very different conceptually and, and story wise. Um, but I, I scored Telling Lies, and uh, and we had great fun. So I was very privileged that uh, and honoured that Sam asked me to be a part of Immortality. So Marissa Marcel was a film star. She made three movies and none of those movies were ever released and Marissa Marcel the actress disappeared and so Immortality is a is a horror interactive film trilogy and the premise is that you're trying to uncover the mysterious disappearance of Marissa she was set to become a huge star in the 1970s but she only ever starred in three films that were never publicly released and to figure out what happened as the player you're thrown into an editing suite uh, with the old moviola moviola style editing suite none of this interact the digital computer stuff it's all very analog and old-fashioned and you're sifting through lost footage of those films with collections of footage from three movies one movies from 1968 another one from 1970 and another one from uh the late 90s 1999 i think and the idea is to make you feel like you're in a film editing suite sorting through these lost movies making 
uh, uncovering things, uncovering the mystery and trying to get to the root of whatever happened to Marissa Marcel. That's the basic narrative premise of the, of the game. And I mean, we, we could talk for ages about the the genre itself of this being a an interactive film game. Uh, but I mean, I feel like that's just a different conversation because your music is so so fun in this in this mindset of there being these three different films that you're experiencing, right? So is that kind of then mm-hmm. how you approached it from a score standpoint was, okay, I'm gonna score these three films. Or, or talk to me a little bit about what, what your musical direction was. Well, as always with Sam, you know, we have these huge, uh, deeply philosophical, insightful conversations. And I gleam as much as I can from uh, our discussions about, you know, getting to the heart of the story and how we're going to approach the score. And so with, uh, unlike with, with Telling Lies, it was very character-based. So I wrote themes for each of the main characters. Uh, here, we didn't do that. We decided, because there are three movies, we mulled around several ideas, one of which was, let's do a pastiche or dive into the the sound world, the, the musical genres of those movies. And that would have been a lot of fun. But then the problem is that, you know, the, the problem that you'd encounter is that because as the player, you're diving in a very non-linear way in through all these movies all the time, you'd be switching between styles so much. It would be very, very fragmented. Sure. So we decided to score, to write a theme for each of the movies, but there is a philosophical theme that encompasses each movie and that each film represents. And so the idea was to come up with a sound palette that would work across the entire score and would unify everything together, that would be common through all the music, but to write a theme that represented the ideas that we were trying to convey. So the ideas of art and religion and life. And that was uh, that was really challenging. You know, how do you, it's like saying, you've got to, you're describing someone's entire life. And when they die, you have a 150 word eulogy written in the, the bottom of a newspaper somewhere. <laughs> and you think, how do you, convey someone's, um, how do you convey the idea, this concept in one singular piece of music? So that that was a challenge and uh, a fun, really exciting challenge. So, you know, I could dive into each theme if you want and, and I would, uh, give you an idea. I would love that because I, I you know, li- like I said, I, I just loved the textures and the instrument choices and the and the evolution of these musical sounds, you know, through through these art, religion, life situ- I'd, I'd love that. Go ahead. Yes. <laughs> so, so uh, for example, uh, with religion. Mm-hmm. 
It's connected to this film called Ambrosia, this fictional film uh, made in 1968, and it's based, and it's in, um, Sam is a great lover of film, and I, I love film as well. Um, you know, I went to the National Film and Television School, and I've watched a lot of movies, and so a lot, our, our discussions, our common ground is always talking about having film references. I live my life through film. I always, when I'm doing something I think oh that's like such and such a movie or a scene from a movie that I really love so so with religion it's based on a notorious gothic novel uh, called the monk and it deals with life after death the idea that uh, something is uh, purer or more abstract that lives beyond our physical existence that transcends everything and it's infinite like a purer spiritual existence removed from human suffering and Sam would give me these crazy analogies you know yeah. descriptions of how to you know think of this when you're composing you know and so <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it's slightly fantastical there's a little sprinkling of magic in the in the music and there's a sense of the divine of rapture of miracle so that was uh, that was a theme religion and um, it's like imagine um, oh how can I describe it? it's very difficult um, it's like there's something religious but not religious and and with Sam and myself I always want we always want to steer away from convention from cliches and stereotypes so with religion you think oh angelic choirs you know and I thought well let's have a touch of choirs but you know in, in a slightly unconventional way and with each theme you're also uh, as each main theme is playing you then go into the subverted version of that theme dark and twisted version and that subverted version is where you're really scoring uh, the uh, it's about realizing that uh, it's about the, the underbelly of what's really going on behind the scenes you know behind the characters and and then in parallel I don't want to give any spoilers away here <laughs> but in pa in parallel to the main theme and that which then evolves into sub, into the subverted theme so when you're playing the game and it switches to the subverted there's a emotional shift in the music we think oh there's something happening here you know maybe mm -hmm. i'm diving in and finding something you know and and so the the game mechanic triggers uh, that those moments in the subverted theme to play with you go ah i'm digging beneath the surface the music has become a little bit darker and so that's that's quite revealing subconsciously to the player but alongside the main and uh, theme and the subverted theme you have this other theme which is the same main theme but it's really it's almost alien and it sounds really contorted and twisted and technically that was fun to create where you have these it's like having if you're watching Stranger, if you've watched Stranger Things, mm -hmm. and you've got the you've got the normal world, and then you've got the ups the up, upside, 
well, upside, upside down, down yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah and so you go into the upside down world yeah and you hear and you hear this other alien theme kind of like a supernatural theme that's playing at the same time and you've got different things going on so that that's the best way that i could describe it <laughs> yeah. um so um so that's religion Before we go on to life, if we could, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, definitely that voice that comes, the solo voice in, in the main religion theme it is so poignant because, you know, you don't hear solo voice really until mm-hmm. then. And and I thought that was very lovely. And I also felt like the religion, uh, the main religion theme was much more consonant than what had come before it. So I'm curious what you think about that. We used the orchestra, we used strings and mm-hmm. I and uh, and I write in a very sort of um, we worked with the Budapest Arts Orchestra who are very okay. familiar with um, extended techniques extended string techniques sort of the the textures the sound that the not just the notes but the sound that the instrument makes mm-hmm. is very important to me you know just create the vibe and the atmosphere. So I'm using the choirs, but in a less obvious way. And mm-hmm. you know, the analogy I remember now, the analogy that San gave me was: imagine you're staring at a religious painting long enough to feel something of the transcendent, pure feelings that it's trying to evoke. Mm. You know, you're just sitting in an art gallery, just staring up at the painting, and you're meditating and you're soaking it all in, and and you're, the painting is imbuing the atmosphere of this transcendent mystical feeling. And that's the feeling that I had to try to get across musically in, mm. in that theme. And, and the subverted theme um, represents the sadness of the sacred, if you like, the negative aspect of, you know, the main theme you've got, organized religion you know it's a good thing uh, and it's and it's everything's okay and then you go into the subverted side which is slightly twisted and it's like organized religion is not such a good thing because it's trying to we're getting into religion here i don't want to get into religion in politics you know, so wait but but you're but you're inflicting cruelty and control over people Mm -hmm. and that's the kind of emotion that I was trying to bring out um, in in the music. And you were going to then go talk about life and, you know, with life and and the main theme too, saxophone, loved the saxophone stuff. So talk to yeah. me about, you know, being like, I think we need saxophone here because it's just absolutely perfect. 
yeah, why saxophone? You know, I mean, uh, yeah, why saxophone? Well, there, there is a kind of a madness, uh, you know, a reason to logic to the madness. Yeah. Um, I've always, you know, when Sam, they, they, these films are kind of have this neo-noir feel about them. Yeah. And when Sam told me the, the, the film references that that's my only kind of nod to to that kind of musical noir genre i was always a fan of um brian de palma's body double uh there's another film uh, the eyes of laura mars you know which has a song by barbara streisand in it that's the reason why i watched that movie because <laughs> i was a big barbara streisand fan and uh faye dunaway starred in that film and it's about a murderer a, a serial killer who gets into people's he can she can see the murders happening this woman can see the murders happening through the eyes of the murderer as he's about to commit the murders and it's all very noirish and very yeah. set in new york um set in the 80s i think the 70s late 70s and those that that sort of musical genre those that the noir films always had saxophones in them and i've always looked for an excuse to to use the sax in that in that style that kind of john barry's film scores really yeah. influenced me when i was growing up and um and those sort of black and white noir movies as well and so uh there was another movie with kathleen turner and um cannot remember the american actor's name but but john barry wrote the score for it and it's a bit like basic instinct that was another big influence for us uh okay. for the for the game you know sharon stone and jerry goldsmith's score and so very really quite sort of in i would not say ever say i uh am plagiarizing those scores but they were always in my subconscious mm-hmm. And and I love the saxophone, and so that's one. That's a major reason why we wanted to bring. Why I've suggested to Sam, let's use the saxophone here. With the main theme, we were trying to explain, you know, everything's above the surface, everything seems fine. And then like a David Lynch movie, uh, and Sam is a big David Lynch fan, and, and so am I, you know, yeah. Blue Velvet, and, you know, the the, the, the American dream of the, the front yard having the white picket fence and the green grass, and then you go, and in David Lynch's world, you go beneath the surface and you see the insects and the nasty side of humanity and yeah. uh, you <laughs> yeah. know the, the the underbelly of of the per, the, the perfect world yeah. and so that's why the music becomes twisted and it's sort of bringing out subverting things and it's bringing out the dark side yeah so those were some of the reasons for when you hear the main theme it it kind of twists and becomes a bit darker and chaotic and Flames are burning and it's the end of the world. You 
You know, yeah, and I, I, I was reminded early on in, in some of the, the tracks early on of, of honestly of like the French composers in the early 1900s who were doing like bitonal and polytonal things where they're, you know, Mio especially, I just was like, God, this reminds me of Mio because of the, you do have these, oftentimes there are different things going on at the same time that by themselves make perfect sense and together also make sense, but sound a little off. Does that make sense? Do you know what I mean? Uh, yes, a little bit. I mean, I've always, I, I'm actually not classically trained. In fact, I'm, I, I learned via the violin and the piano as a child, Yeah. but I never took my music studies to a, to a further level. I'm totally pretty much self-taught Amazing. in that regard. That's wonderful, yes. So uh, so I was always scared of working with the orchestra. And I've always felt slight, slightly felt a little bit of imposter syndrome, thinking I'm not trained, I can't write for the orchestra. And that fear soon went away when I, you know, I like throwing myself in the, uh, the deep end. And I use my ears. I use, I go with my emotional gut instinct. And so here there's, there's no right or wrong, you know. If I'm writing with dissonance and uh, and I'm twisting things, if it sounds right to my ear, uh, at the end of the day, I'm trying to get across emotion, and mm-hmm. I'm storytelling through music. So I'm cap- encapsulating the essence of the the film that we're, you know, in life or art or religion. And and so, to me, um, you know, I started off as a sound designer, so. It's all sound is music to me. Yeah. That's the point I'm trying to make is, is that, you know, with, with dissonance and um, things not sounding correct if I'm composing and it doesn't sound correct musically, I think, but it sounds okay. It may not look right on the page, but it, with the notes on the page and um, there's something about it that works. Yeah. And so I'm always... I always push toward, I try to always push towards this kind of unsettling dissonance where it's wrong and it's sounding wonky, but at the same time, there's a, there's a balance to it and somehow it works. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the other thing too, is that even in th- these more dissonant moments throughout this entire soundtrack, it still manages to be very beautiful and lovely. You know, it's, it, it's never ugly to me when, when you know, um, and that's, yeah. that's, I think, a challenge to, to make something uh, crunchy, beautiful, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and that, that's always, yeah, there's a, there's a duality there. And mm-hmm. that's something that Sam brings through. That's an important theme, running theme for Sam as well, a kind of a duality to the characters, to the stories and the concepts of the game. So, so that's something that I try to bring across. And, you know, I have a degree in mathematics and I love the beauty of numbers. And that's the, the, the way that I approach writing music has been influenced by my love of numbers and equations yeah you know you had there's a yin and a yang and there's a, a push and a pull so that there's there's a beauty you know i want to create something that has a balance and a beauty to it but at the same time it's like chaos and order you know i want to allow for a bit of chaos to work with that beautiful balance as well when i'm constructing the piece uh, and it's very organic and evolves naturally. I don't consciously think about that when I'm writing a piece of music, but it just 
comes out naturally when I'm sitting at the piano writing. Yeah, I, when I saw that you had a math degree, I, I wanted to ask you how you think that influences you as a composer, because, you know, whether you're studying medieval music or 20th century atonal, I mean, math is everywhere. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm curious, I'd love to hear you talk more about that, how you think it does kind of influence your, your writing. Well, I, I wanted to go into architecture, you know, as a teenager, it was like either architecture or, or music. And, oh. and um, it's, you know, you look at fractals and um, what's the way, I, I've got dreadful memory, uh, but the um, Fibonacci sequence, mm -hmm. you know, and that's prevalent in, in all of nature. And that's something that's always fascinated me about the beauty of numbers. Yeah. And, and the same with music. You know, I mean, people always say music and math go together, and I, I find it such a cliche when people say that. <laughs> but I guess there is a there is a truth to that, mm -hmm. and I've uh, and so um, I don't like to uh, write music that doesn't have emotion in that sort of in a very mathematical, in a very technical way. Um, you know, like Bach, you know, very, you know, I love Bach and, but there is, there is an inherent emotion to it that, that pushes you um, to feel something. Um, mm -hmm. So that's always kind of, you know, the Fibonacci sequence, you know, in an existential way, you know, the beauty of numbers has always influenced me. Um, and, and in a technical way, I mean, I started off as a sound designer and I, um, uh, I use numbers in when I'm working, you know, in, in soft music software, and and everything has to be just so. Um, so that's, but I don't, I never let the technicality of of math and science and all of that get in the way of. It may form the underbelly of conceptual underbelly of what I'm composing, mm -hmm. um, but uh, at the end of the day. I want to create something that an audience, a listener, will respond to in a very visceral, emotional way where they can connect with what I'm trying to say. Uh, and of course, you know, people will read anything they want to in your music when they hear it. And that's always wonderful when someone comes up to me and says, I listened to such and such a piece and it just evoked this feeling in me and, uh, mm -hmm. and and people interpret what they want to interpret and that is that's really really lovely you know yeah. when, that, when that happens Now, with Telling Lies, uh, you didn't have any visual aids to score that, did you? No, I had a, 
a script, a massive <laughs> script. And here, this, it was the same thing because really? okay. I'm, ki I'm kind of having to write in reverse. You know, I'm not, uh, I tend to be a very visually inspired composer. And uh, you throw visuals at me and that will inform me in a certain way. And I'm scoring another game at the moment for, uh, for EA, for Electronic Arts, which is a bit more conventional. It's a, musically, it's really edgy and different, but the process is quite conventional, which is new to me, um, which is wonderful because I'm, I'm presented with storyboards and, and little bits of gameplay and, and images of the characters and, and the, uh, the landscapes and the environment and, and so on. That's great. With immortality and telling lies, Sam, we're working in reverse. I'm having to create the music first. Wow. Uh, without seeing anything at all. <laughs> like, and and all I'm given is with immortality, I've got a, a 280 page script to wade through. And <laughs> and <laughs> and and lots of conversations with Sam. Yeah. And you know, written notes and and he's very descriptive. So so that it's like reading a book and and using your imagination. Mm -hmm. And that's quite often the, one of the loveliest things because it gives you it's very liberating composing like that. Yeah. Uh, it's up to me to, to interpret it in any way that I want to. And so but the but the problem of that is that um, it's so liberating that I go, I don't know what to do here. You know, it's, it's, uh, we couldn't, I couldn't write 280 minutes of music, you know, for, for the entire scene. So that's why we created a set of parameters and thought, how can we restrict and convey in a very efficient way, um, the underbelly of the game with mm -hmm. music. And so we broke it down into these three themes yeah. and the subverted versions and the and the supernatural. So I'd have these conversations with Sam, and um, and that that would take me down a rabbit hole of exploring um, music, sharing musical ideas with Sam. You know, he'd send me music that he'd been listening to uh, that would inspire me to feed him more music and it was a you know it's a quite a sort of a toing and froing process and what sam likes to do is that you know i'd write the music i would do the mock-ups which is you know do everything using the computer before i actually recorded with the orchestra and then he would mull over the music and sit with it and live with it and then come back to me and say okay maybe we can shift this a little bit more like this or more like that and he would as he was writing the script uh, or filming he likes to play the music uh, to the actors as well um, that happened on telling lies where he would um, poor actors you know they were sort of given <laughs> sam would give them their themes and uh, so well listen to this so you know just soak up the vibe of it and this is this is like your personality this is your character um cool. and that would help inform it would the music that i was writing would help inform sam's writing and vice versa so it was a really really interesting way of working and i, I the closest i know that ennio morricone when he scored the one of the spaghetti westerns um for a few dollars more, I think they were uh, Sergio Leone was on location, and it was in the old, you know, the old-fashioned ways before they had computers. So, so 
he described the scene to Ennio Morricone and he said, this is what I want. And Ennio Morricone composed it, composed the scene, the, the cue. And then they had these huge loudspeakers on set, on location uh, in <laughs> Spain where they were filming. And they played Ennio's music, blasted it out on set. And they choreographed the whole scene around his music, wow. which is why when you watch it, you go, how on earth did he manage to hit all those points? You know, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, because they were watching it and from there to there, I'm walking 10 steps from there to there. And by the time the music reaches that point, I have to have reached that point. So fascinating way of yeah. deconstructing cinema, which is what Sam does. He's deconstructing cinema here yeah. um, and, you know, creating a totally new way of, of telling stories. And so with Telling Lies, or at least with Immortality, it seems like there's quite a bit more music, too, that you wrote. Yeah, it's about, yeah, I think it's about double the amount of music. Uh, yeah. And we're, in terms of the process, uh, I mean, Telling Lies was based on uh, search words, keywords. Uh, you type in the word love, for example, and then up would pop up five scenes all containing the word love in the dialogue somewhere. Mm -hmm. Here, Sam is using, here we're using a, a different technique, uh, which goes back to the old days of editing, which is called the match cut. And uh, so if you watch a scene, um, you'll be triggered by, let's say you're interested, you know, you're watching a scene and there's uh, an object or an image uh, within the scene. If you click on it, it will take you uh, to that image in other scenes within the game, okay. within the footage. So it's like a trigger. It's like this. Um, uh, so let's say you've got the the uh, a picture of a gorilla, and and you click on that picture of a gorilla. It will take you to uh, a, another scene with the gorilla in it. But it will like it'd be like a branching narrative. It could take you to any of the three films. You know, you're spanning. 30, 40 years of those three lost movies. Yeah. And um, it, the, the, the analogy that I can think of is, remember in 2001, the beginning of the film with, uh, you're going back to, back in time, thousands of years ago to the beginnings of man and with the gorillas hitting the bones yeah. uh, on the ground. And the, the gorilla throws the bone into the air and you see that bone and it and then you go to the space station which is the same shape as the bone and you're forwarded you know to 2000 years later to or hundreds of thousands of years later to uh, to the um to the space station so you've got that analogy you've got that image of the bone and it's connected to something totally unrelated. Um, that's the idea of the match cut, 
where you're you've got a, 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 an image that you that is just, so you're just clicking on images and that will then take you to different scenes and you're piecing the mystery together by watching the different scenes it's really really clever and it sounds complicated but it isn't it's yeah. it's so simple and it's such an elegant idea that um, that just works beautifully uh, yeah. when you when you're playing it and talk about the other uh, theme thematic areas then because we talked about religion and and then I I never really did let you talk about the other two <laughs> so um, so I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about life um, that this is an area where it sounded like I was hearing prepared piano or something it was um, you know again something beautiful but slightly off so uh, talk to me a- about that um, so life is linked to Minsky, this 1970s New York set thriller and about the uh, death of a famous artist. And it's about life, it's about living life in the moment. You're engaging in the physical pleasures uh, of life and you're capturing that. It covers, uh, it's quite sensual and, um, and the analogy that Sam gave me was imagine Jesus that lives physically and he hangs out with real folk drinking wine okay that's that's <laughs> the idea i thought oh okay i need to write a piece of music that conveys that you know <laughs> the music has this sense of abandonment about it and that's what we were trying to convey and where we revel in the beauty of life and we get wrapped up in i don't know hedonistic activities you know partying and living life to the full and that's the idea of uh, of it Then we come to the subverted side of it, where you've you've got a hangover. You know, it's, it's like you're the feeling of having flown too close to the sun, and you've missed it. You know, and that and the theme is a contrast. The subverted uh, aspect of the theme is a contrast between really being in the moment of living life to the full and then and then the subverted shifts to uh you're just going through the motions in a mechanical way like a hollowed out version you're doing your nine to five job being in an office and on front of a computer all day data inputting and 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 it's like this is not living this is just well this not living you're surviving you're not living life to the full and so that's that's the kind of contrast that i wanted to convey um musically within within that theme 
And that was quite inspired by the movies of the late 80s and early 90s, like Basic Instinct and, and Body Double. And, uh, um, you know, you've got these dark orchestral textures and there's an but there's an emptiness to it as well. So, yeah, that, that, that was life. That was life. Yeah. <laughs> that was life. And with art, again, there's um, more piano, but also really lovely harp added uh, yeah. to the to the main theme. So, so talk to me about the art themes. Yeah. Um, so, art was inspired by this 1999 fictional movie that Sam created called "The Two of Everything," and it's about a pop star and her body double, uh, a little bit like. Um, the Whitney Houston movie, The Bodyguard. Yes. That way, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's about creating something that lives on forever. You know, it, it's art, you know, and, and, and what we do as artists, you're writing a book or you're creating music, you're, uh, you're you know, you're a fine artist. You're, you're trying to create something that lives on forever in other people and, and has a life of its own. So... You know, like Mozart or, or Beethoven, you know, after you die, what is your legacy? What is your artistic legacy? What are you leaving behind that has a mark and an imprint on society? Um, and so it's an attempt, musically, it's an attempt to capture or recreate things in a purer form. You know, you're I'm synthesizing the worlds of religion and life together and and it's like and one other one of sam's analogies is um he says if you think about picasso painting you're repainting the, the same line again and again and so there's a repetition to the music that comes in and it's the synchronization between the hand and the brain and the imagination subverted side to that is about trying to achieve artistic perfection but you can't mm -hmm. and it, you're you know you're exhausted you're the, you're reaching your limits trying to achieve something and you can never ever get there and you and and the the torture of creating so when i compose I actually find it quite a torturous process. So I could really identify with this theme. You know, I was I was living the theme that I was creating <laughs> because, you know, it's, a, it's like the subverted side we're trying to show is the torture of creating art out of the intangible. About you're achieving to create something. I'll spend a day or days trying to come up with the perfect theme, and yet I can't. You know, and yet sometimes it's staring you in the face, but. But I find composing, uh, I feel that I need to be a tortured soul to compose. And that's, <laughs> and that's, and that's what we were trying to convey uh, with, with the music.
Now, when you're composing, are you, do you sit at the keyboard? Do you, how, how does that usually happen for you? Yeah, I'm, I, I, I guess my default mode is to sit in front of my, my keyboard. Yeah. Uh, but I do like to shake and work in the, with the computer. But I find when I'm coming up with melodies and, and quite a lot of the melodies, you know, I do like a strong melody. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's not very often that I get given the opportunity to do that uh, because people could, I feel directors tend to want to, in, in film and TV, I find that directors tend to want to err on the side of being too emotional and being too strong with music and with games that's quite it's so liberating because you can do that and it's expected of you and people mm -hmm. want strong themes yeah so I'll you know I'll, I'll be often be out you know walking doing the shopping in the supermarket and I'll come up with a melody uh, I find I'm most creative sometimes not being in the studio sure. and just do something totally different and so I'll then quickly record melodies into my phone into my you know iPhone my notes and memos and things and then I'll come back to it the next day and I'll listen back to it and think hmm, if it's a great if it's a good if I listen to it the next day and think that's okay then it's worth pursuing otherwise I'll just abandon it or I'll sleep you know quite often I dream music I'll, I'll go to bed with a musical problem a, a bit of a musical conundrum I think I don't know how to do this I'm not sure how to tackle uh, a piece of music and I'll mull it over before going to sleep and then I'll literally I'll sleep on it hmm. and I'll wake up the next morning with an answer uh, nice. um, you know, it's sort of which is it doesn't happen too often, but it happens enough. I think, you know, I'm working while I sleep. Isn't that the best way? You know, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you found the trick. <laughs> I found the solution. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but um, another thing that Sam asked me to do for the game which I was really excited about because I, I guess I'm a 90s baby, a sort of late 80s, 90s baby. So I grew up listening to um, Britney Spears and, uh, you know, Christina Aguilera and all these 90s sugar-coated pop and Madonna. Yeah. I loved Madonna and, and those sort of strong pop songs. And uh, for the two of everything, Sam said, can you write um, a mid-90s pop song? Yes, I uh, know something I'd never done before, and so it was a it was a really fun challenge, and it gave me an opportunity to sort of listen to all those tracks that I'd listened to as a young teenager, <laughs> and uh, but this was a kind of a spoof. This wasn't. Um, it's like inspired by Britney Spears' "Hit Me Baby" and you know early Madonna hits, mm -hmm. and uh, and the character sings it. She's a she's a pop star. Marissa is a pop star in the film, so I uh, so I wrote this pop song and uh, gave it a traditional, full-on '90s, early '90s arrangement, and uh, and she sings it in the in the film as well. I did an acoustic version as well, which she performs in the game okay. uh, for one of the scenes. For she's rehearsing, uh, she's auditioning, and uh, and then you hear the pop song and she's miming to it, and there's a dance routine and so nice. so you'll have to dig into the game to find that uh to find that scene uh, to hear the song but the sam gave me these half written lyrics and i thought and i didn't have the heart to say to the to him 
they're not so hot, you know, they're not great. <laughs> and so I rewrote it. Uh, I, I sort of, I changed the lyrics and uh, made it work, you know, with the mm -hmm. melody. And uh, so, yeah. uh, so that was fun. And um, so uh, I guess Sam is, Sam should be credited as co-lyric writer <laughs> on the, on the pop song. of everything i think it's called right two of everything and it's mm -hmm. a real it's a bit of a cheesy spoof you know uh, <laughs> of of those early pop songs but it's quite an art to write something really catchy yes um, you know it you know i mean it's very easy to be dismissive of those uh of pop pop music and and pop songs and it's not very often that i get to, to get to do it yeah i'm writing these you know the rest of the music is very cerebral and very <laughs> intellectual and philosophical yeah. and then i'm writing this sort of trashy pop song and it was one of the hardest things i had to do actually um uh, i mean really fun but it's you know to write a good melodic catchy hooky pop song you know is, is tough so i'm hoping i can release it as a single maybe and, uh, <laughs> and it'll reach the top of the charts i don't know we'll see see if we can do that <laughs> You know, you mentioned a couple of times that you started off as a sound designer, and uh, I I'm curious, you know, what the evolution was from you doing sound design into into composition. Well, I was always I I love sound, and and I have a real. I used to go out recording sound effects, and I had a portable DAT recorder, and I was oh, just nice. very. I, I loved film and I loved sound. Uh, I don't know why. It's just one of those. It, it just sort of perked my ears perked up literally uh, when I was watching um, Barton Fink by the Coen Brothers. Yeah. Uh, that was a big um, influence on me. And sound was very important to the in the Coen Brothers movies. So I was interested in sound design, and I'd go out and record sounds of sounds of nature, and I had my headphones and my my microphone and a DAT recorder and I and I loved film as well and so I I got a scholarship to go to the National Film and Television School and to, to study sound design but as a child of course I was really into music as well and I discovered film scores film soundtracks um, and I played video games as well you know the Atari and uh, Space Invaders and <laughs> and I had a Amstrad PC and I, you know, as a teenager, I was really into games. And so I, I, the first proper paid work that I actually had, you know, of course I worked as a sound designer and I really wanted to get into music, but I didn't know how. And so I created a showreel uh, and I sent it, I found this directory 
of all the film TV companies and games companies as well. And I sent out a hundred reels uh, and, and I got back a reply from two companies, one of which was a video game company. Uh, it was a publisher actually called Empire Interactive, a really successful uh, games publisher in the UK. And they had five or six uh, developers that were creating games for them, sort of flight simulators, another game called Sheep for Nintendo, and uh, what is it? What else did I do? I mean, various games, Monopoly, World Cup Monopoly, and you know, all sorts <laughs> of various games yeah. that I got to work on. So wow. I'd started off by creating sound effects for video games. And then I said to the developers, well, actually, you know, I, can, I do music as well. And so they said, oh, well, we'll try you out. And so one thing led to another. And so I ended up doing sound effects and music for for the games. Okay. And then what happened was that the publisher got taken over by another company. And I kind of lost that strand of work uh, sort of overnight. I was working as a freelancer regularly for, for all these games companies, but that, uh, that sort of fell by the wayside. And mm. I then got offered a job doing a TV project and, uh, and then I moved into film and TV. Okay. And it's kind of like full circle. I've been coming back full circle now to my true beginnings, which were video games way back about over 20 years ago and and the industry has changed so much you know i mean those in uh, it's changed and it hasn't changed you know the techniques are still there in terms of i'm writing in a modular way i'm writing in stems and layers and using those conventional games music techniques to compose and you know in terms of implementing it using middleware software and wys and fmod and all of that but yeah, so it's it's like my career has come full circle. I've managed to get back into video games, and it's it's <laughs> I. But no, having built up a, sort of a, a history of now writing for film and TV, and I feel everything is coming full circle. And I feel that that experience of scoring for film and TV, and now for games, it's like a convergence of forces of creativity because I feel that the future of entertainment. I'm a soothsayer now. The future of entertainment is this hybrid form of, you know, the that audiences are becoming so much more, uh, well, they've been so passive and they're searching for more. They're sort of really, the audiences are much more sophisticated. They're demanding more. And I feel that this, the way that Sam is telling stories is is very exciting. we tell and engage with storytelling is it's a really exciting space to be in and you know we're taking techniques from filmmaking such as the match cut that Sam is using in, in immortality right. and we're blending these storytelling techniques with the non-linear aesthetic of gameplay uh, uh, that are keeping you engaged in a fresh 
inventive way, but you're watching a movie, but you're not watching a movie, you know, right. you're, you're, you're finding your way. It's like piecing a jigsaw puzzle together and, and diving into it. And, and so you're, Sam is kind of setting a precedent in a way where we're working out our own techniques and processes of doing things. And that can be daunting because we're pioneering uh, new ways of telling stories. And that's that's a really exciting way to work, um, which is why it was such a challenge when we were devising the techniques for creating the music for this game. How are we going to, how are we, you know, I can't write the music for three feature films here that <laughs> Sam has made. Right. You know, it's just, we don't have the time and the resources to do it. So, so that was really, um, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was fun. (laughs) I think it elevates all of the genres it comes from, like to have this interactive movie, this new way of storytelling makes movies better. It makes games better. You know, it's just, it's a really neat, exciting thing to witness, you know? Yeah, it is. And, and of course you don't know whether people are going to engage with it in the way that you want them to, you know, <laughs> right. you, know you know, it's, it's so, um, so I think, um, yeah, you, you just don't know how people are going to respond to it and you're go, you're going out on a limb. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, you know, it's a quote, David Bowie, you know, I think you do your most exciting work when you're in a swimming pool and your feet aren't quite touching the ground because you're slightly floundering and, uh, and, uh, <laughs> but you're not quite drowning either. So, uh, yeah. so, you know, you think you're pushing yourself and let, let's try something new and different and edgy and, mm-hmm. but, but we're still using old techniques as well. It's sort of, you're mixing the old and the new. And so using the orchestra was sort of, it's familiar territory. You know, I wanted to use a string section. I wanted to use a clarinet and, and the saxophone and use these choirs and use these sort of sounds that we're used to hearing within our sonic landscape that have been around for hundreds of years with the orchestra but throw a spin on it and you know i use extended techniques and and um and just sort of mix it in a different way and it's quite edgy and bold and hopefully sounds fresh aware of the time and I, I want to respect your time but I also want to make sure that we mention um, these nominations that you have coming up and it's it's possible this might publish after it happens but I, I still want to just you know you, you mentioned how you used to have imposter syndrome I'm glad you don't anymore because it's very clear that <laughs> you've, you've managed to, to do some amazing amazing scores in, in your time with with film and, and TV and games and and so do you want to talk a little bit about the the couple of projects that you're nominated for right now and uh, before we say goodbye sure Emily um, so 14 peaks nothing is impossible has been nominated for a primetime uh, Emmy uh, and 
in fact, best documentary feature. It's a, it's a feature documentary out on Netflix. And it's about a man, Nims Perger, who climbs 14 of the world's highest mountains in less than seven months, breaking Amazing. all world records. Uh, he's incredibly inspiring. And for me, um, it was, I worked with uh, the London Contemporary Orchestra, who mm. I worked with on Telling Lies. Uh, and nice. I love their their experimental uh, uh, way of, of doing things. And we certainly use that in the score for that. Um, so it's a very, I've never done this before, but it was a very, in, in this way, but it was a huge symphonic, big, epic score, <laughs> but also quite emotional. So we're going between, the, you know, the, the mountains, which are, it's a hostile environment. It's an amazing landscape, the Himalayas, the cinematography is incredible. Wow. And so how do we match that with the music? You know, we create this big sound that's a foreboding sound that has a darkness to it. There's a lot of tension and drama and thrills and excitement. It's, you're, in, you're taken on an emotional roller coaster with that score. Yeah. And, but what makes this character tick? What, you know, what really, what's the heart of the film? Why does he do these crazy things like <laughs> climb up, you know, the 8,000ers? It's because of this, this bond, this relationship that he has with his mother. And so there's a piece of music that I wrote called Mother and Son for, for him and their beautiful bond. And it comes down to the singular sound, which is this beautiful solo violin. going from epic to this, this simple sort of simplicity of, of the simple emotion and I also wanted to bring out uh, because of the, the cultural side of the Sherpas who've never been acknowledged for their work you know mm -hmm. supporting Western climbers going up the mountains and finally they get a little bit of you know recognition so uh, I brought in smatterings touches of Nepalese plucked stringed instruments. I've got, mm -hmm. you know, one of them, uh, the Kamench violin behind me, and I've got a collection of world music instruments. And uh, as well as sound design, I also worked uh, uh, for Peter Gabriel um, as his assistant music engineer. And mm -hmm. I, I have a background in world music as well. So it's, it's bringing all those sort of the Western universal themes of western music universal emotions and and bringing it to uh you know bringing it to these sort of nepalese touches as well and uh, and getting that across Then the other project is The Reason I Jump, which is a very um, beautiful film. It's visually stunning. It's about, uh, it's based on a book called The Reason I Jump, and that's been nominated for uh, the News Documentary Emmy. Um, uh, and 
it's a feature doc. Uh, it's out on Netflix in the US and on Disney Plus everywhere else, I think. And it's based on a book called The Reason I Jump, written by a 12-year-old Japanese boy, Naoki Higashida, who is nonverbal autistic himself. And he tried to explain to the world in 53 questions in this book of what it feels like to be autistic from his perspective. And so um, the film is a kind of uh, variation of, of that tries to tell you that through the film and there are five contributors who are all nonverbal autistic young teenagers uh, living in different parts of the world and it tells you they explain what it's like to be autistic through their eyes and ears and it's multi-sensory and I love doing research in the projects that I work on so mm. I dived into the world of autism and read a lot of papers and scientific papers and and uh, watch movies and read books and, and and try to understand and translate all the different aspects of autism into music in the film. So the characters are nonverbal and uh, so I wanted to give the characters a voice. So I used the human voice and I recorded my own voice singing and layering it and treating it and manipulating it. One of the characters, uh, autistic characters, she rocks backwards and forwards, and and the repetition is also quite prevalent in um, a lot of uh, neurodivergent uh, people. And so, circular motion, repetition, uh, rocking backwards and forwards, those kinds of visual um, metaphors and and ideas found themselves into the score. So I'd use repetition music that would repeat itself sort of loops and um and that sort of rocking backwards and forwards idea going round and round in circles you know she rocks back and, forth and forwards because it's a very cathartic feeling it's a feeling of emotional release mm. um and so and also sound design uh, sound is very when autistic people perceive the world, they you know sound is very heightened for them. Uh, you know it's very multisensory. So I would be given sound effects from location uh, for the scenes in the film that mm. I would then treat and manipulate into that became pieces of music. Oh, wow. So it starts it starts off as sound design and then it evolves into a musical piece which was so there's a ceiling fan in one of the scenes of the film and they gave me the sound of this fan going round and round and I had quite a few of them and you've got these repetitive sounds all sort of interweaving together and uh, so I took the sounds of the ceiling fan and I chopped it all up and uh, in in my software and then I created musical loops out of them and and it becomes this euphoric cathartic release of emotion when you hear these loops uh, and just builds to this emotional big musical climax
check it out uh, if you can or check out the score it's it was really a very um, and with all many of my projects I work on it's very for me I, I sort of I learn about the human condition and I learn about myself and I, I love to dive into those sort of projects and it it transforms me I find film and games and TV as a very transformative medium to work in it confounds my expectations of the world that i live in and i learn i learn something about the world every project i do i learn something new and different about music or about the world that we live in and uh, yeah. uh, and the characters and you know how we see so i've always seen the world through cinema it's, it's always taught me something um, about the world and probably unexpected things as well. Like, did you have any idea you would learn about a man who climbed 14 peaks in seven months or whatever? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's amazing the things well, that you get to learn about. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, I mean, the, well, the one thing I learned about working on 14 peaks is that I never want to climb up yeah. a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Because it's uh, you know I want I mean the thing the amazing thing about fourteen peaks is that um, you know we all have our the analogy of achieving something that's deemed to be impossible and right. anything is possible if you set your mind to it so it's incredibly inspiring and motivational in that regard you know it's yeah. like you know I you know, we all have our own personal mountains to climb in our everyday worlds mm -hmm. uh, in our in our lives every day and so you know watching that film even though you're not going to physically climb up mount everest uh like nims does um it's there's a you can connect with it and relate to it in a in your own small everyday world mm -hmm. and you know i mean it's it's an amazing film to have been a part of and uh, and it was a huge challenge we recorded the score at abbey road oh, nice. um, it was recorded during the pandemic so uh, so that had its own technical challenges because it was the biggest recording session since lockdown had happened. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, Interesting. We had, you know, a massive string section. Uh, everyone had to be socially distanced. And because we were socially distanced, there was literally, physically, there was air, more air in the room, you know, uh, <laughs> and, and, and it created an airy, uh, ambiance when we were mixing the score it sort of it, it gave the sound of the score a slightly different of course it's big and epic and dramatic and yeah. huge and but it gave the score a sort of a feeling of more air and also I used uh, silence in the score as well you don't have to fill up the film with all-to-all music uh, you know, we use the crunch of the feet on the ice and the snow, and you're just relishing those details. You've got this massive landscape, and then you hear the detail of the wind whistling through the mountains, and uh, and the crunch of the footsteps on the snow, and uh, and wow. that's all part of the storytelling and the immersive experience of how we experience the the music and the sound and the and the footage uh, all has a has its part to play in yeah. putting you into the world of the this daunting task and this daunting landscape that you're thrown into
what more do you want to say about about anything, um, but especially immortality, since that's cut right around the corner and will be out by the time this this is ready. But but yeah, what more would you like to say? I, I'm just excited about. I'm really excited to hear how audiences, gamers, are going to connect with the stories yeah. in this uh, in this game. You know, the three the three films uh, and the journey that they're going to go on, and just having fun uh, playing the non-linear aspects of these movies. You know, just mm-hmm. having fun diving into Marissa's world. I don't want to give anything more away, to be honest, because there's, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of discussion about about the character afterwards. I mean, the key word is immortality, and that that's going to unlock a lot of things instantly. So it's it's you know, Marissa is a really cool character, and we're going to, you're going to discover a lot about her, um, and so. I can't say more than that, really. It's, but it's, it's, it's incredibly ambitious. You know, it's, it's much more ambitious than telling lies. You know, we're sort yeah. of going on to the, on to the next level here. Mm-hmm. And Sam has really pushed the boat out. Um, you know, I've worked. Um, it's very rare that I get to work with someone as bright and intelligent as as someone as Sam in terms of a very, in a very holistic way. You know, he's. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he's he's quite visionary, and so I'm um, sort of along along riding along his uh, coattails on, on this one. It's a <laughs> it's it's you know we're breaking boundaries and we're telling a story in a way that's never been told before. And and you're learning about film and it's Sam's love and my love. It, it's the culmination of my entire career background you know my love of sound design my love of of film my my beginnings in video games and so it's like all these converging forces have come together you know with noir film music uh and you know i really got to um you know create something that i've always wanted to never had the opportunity to but create something musically that i've always wanted to write in this style and uh uh, and uh, Sam allowed me to do that. It is very uh, beautiful, lovely, entertaining, uh, thought-provoking music, and it's been absolutely a pleasure to listen to it, and I, I look forward to playing the game, and I absolutely look forward mm-hmm. to hearing whatever uh, you've got coming up next. So thank you so much for chatting with me today. Uh, thank you, Emily. Uh, thank you for having me. It's been an absolute delight talking to you. Thank you for listening to Level with Emily. You can learn more about Nanita, see a playlist, and support Level with Emily at patreon.com slash level. Remember to check out the video of my chat with Nanita on the Level with Emily YouTube channel and give us a subscription if you could uh, so that then you'll, you know, be alerted to all of our new videos of interviews and such. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily and learn more about us at levelwithemily.com, made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services. Composer Brad Gentle manages our YouTube channel. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media Inc.
Here at Level with Emily, we're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance. It features a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. You can hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.